You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We're, gonna, we're not going to pass you again. Yes, sir. Let's go, man! Dude, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we've been excited about this. I, I thought we lost you when we moved up, and I'm excited to get you here. We're excited to get you here. we got a heck of a foundation growing, man. It's going to be fun. Feel me? Yes, sir. I can't wait. All gas, brother. Let's roll, man. Hey, I'm going to... Welcome back to the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today of USA Today, NFL Wire, Doug Farrar. Doug, how are you doing today? Good. I got to get on TikTok. I'm not there yet, but <laughs> it's uh, past like the whole snap face thing. At least I don't do that. Yeah, no, TikTok's, uh, TikTok's an interesting animal in itself. <laughs> um, no, I'm, uh, I'm still getting used to it. I'm 27 years old and I feel old on there. So don't, uh, don't worry about that. <laughs> He's 27 years old and he feels old. Please. <laughs> um, no, but ex- exciting times. Um, you know, training. Camp. I have shoes older than you, man. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, I, I don't think I'm that old, but then sometimes it makes me feel old when I see other people doing stuff. So I try to try to I'm, try, I'm right in the middle ground right now. It's good. But <laughs> um, what do they say? Comparison is the thief of joy. Just yeah. be who you are, man. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, yeah. we'll make it work, but. Yeah. Um, you know, exciting times, training camp kicking off for the Jets and most teams around the NFL, a couple teams next week and then next weekend for most uh, most of the NFL. What's your excitement level for this season? Because obviously last year, the last 18 months has been crazy around the world and especially in this country. I'm, I'm pumped up. Well, gosh, last year was the first time I didn't go to a game in the press box since 2010. First Super Bowl I didn't attend since 2012. First combine I didn't attend since 2006. Uh stadiums at full capacity uh most players not being idiots about the vaccine it, yeah it's uh, it's you know a lot of things going on and you kind of get a return to normalcy and and what we do um that certainly was missing last year so yeah very excited yeah, just to get back to where we were yeah <laughs> you know? no exactly it's not even the biggest thing for me it's just like getting people back in the building especially with you know, a team, unfortunately, the Jets who struggled last year, not having fans. Yes, it's a blessing because you don't have to you know, get booed by the home crowd. But also, it's really hard when you're a bad team and you're playing bad and you don't even have the crowd on your side to, like, try to get you amped up. It didn't help the team last year. But, um, you know, like I said, Adam Gase probably, yeah, Adam Gase probably saved himself a lot of, like, you know, throwing stuff yeah, at him. In I mean, race. they still flew over the uh, the plane with the fire Gase signs. You know, people took yes. out, donated money, which is always a, uh, it's an interesting use of your money, but um, what do you think the excitement level, you know, for Jets fans should be going into 2021? I know, obviously, you know, very similar to the last two years for the race, the rest of the world, but the Jets obviously have struggled mightily, and it kind of feels like a total brand new reset, and there's a lot of excitement. Do you feel the same way? Well, I think you have to start with the culture, and Gase obviously is is rotten with that. Um, you know, we can we could spend a whole podcast on that, but he's gone. Apparently he's coaching high school now, poor kids. Uh, so Robert Sala comes in and I'm in Seattle. So I'm pretty familiar with him just as a, you know, in a divisional sense. Um, and the, the sheer number of X, you know, 49ers players who worked with Sala, who once he got the job, were like going on Twitter saying, yes, this is a great move. This is, I, I agree. Um, you know, he's a very smart guy. He has worked with an extremely exacting coach in Kyle Shanahan. Um, he has some of that Pete Carroll's, you know, 
cover three, four on the floor, not a lot of blitzes, although they play more cover two. So Salah's adaptable to what's around him. And the Niners injury situation last year was absolutely, it was so bad. And he still put together a really good defense. And I think one thing that really stood out, like all their defensive backs were hurt, except for Jason Verrett, who has like the worst injury history ever. And of course he was healthy. And Verrett is a top, you know, 15 cornerback in the NFL. When you guys study, it always has been, he just can't stay healthy. Um, but the way Salah was able to bring in guys pretty much off the street and have them playing at an above league average level, you start there with, the Jets secondary as it's projected outside of Marcus May, who we can talk about as great, great, great player. Um, I think Salah will bring the most out of those guys. And that's going to be absolutely necessary because it's not like they're bad players. They just, you know, you've got to start the rebuild somewhere. And if you're late to the party at a position group, then it's up to the coaches to say, okay, how much can we elevate this thing? Um, I love, I love the LaFleur, the Mike LaFleur, because they, they were together in San Francisco it is that Shanahan-based offense. And I think Zach Wilson is a great – I remember doing a – I did a pre-draft article called the Shanahan Index where I took, like, the projected top – the first-round quarterbacks who would be the best fit for Kyle Shanahan. Trey Lance was second. Zach Wilson was first. I mean, the guy, he has, you know, boot, play action, you know, motion, all the things that, you know – and people do it differently – um but that sort of shanahan based offense i mean there are, you look at zach wilson's tape there are issues i think the yolo balls would not serve him well in the nfl but i i mean i was lucky enough to watch tape with patrick mahomes before he was drafted and I, we reviewed his game against texas where he threw a bunch of interceptions that could have thrown a lot more good luck you know drop stuff whatever and i said you know you can't do this gunslinger crap in the nfl and he said, yeah i know I'll, I'll figure it out. And I think he's done pretty well. So um, I, I think Zach Wilson is a fascinating, just a really interesting quarterback for that type of offense. You bring in more and you bring in Corey Davis and Michael Carter, who I think is a great, great running back speed guy, receiver uh, as a tackle breaker. He was sort of pushed aside by Javante Williams, who was in his same backfield and, and I thought was the best player in this draft class, never mind the best running back. And Broncos got a steal in the second round. So they got the pieces on offense. Um, it's a multi, it's a, it's a rebuild from the studs. I, I think in Douglas, they have the guy who can handle that. Um, I think they have the right people in the right culture. They may, the way I see the jets is they may win five or six games, but they're going to be a, a, you would think they will be kind of a constant pain in the butt for the teams that are better than them and, and subsequently beat them, but they're not going to be the easy out that they were last year. I think that's kind of, I mean, you tell me, but that would seem to be the overall hope for 2021. You're not going to the playoffs you're, because everything was just so bad before. You don't usually, I mean, when we talk about the AFC East and the Dolphins and what they did, it was like, whoa. Um, but they had a lot of pieces in place with the Jets. It's not only rebuilding the culture, it's rebuilding the position group and you know with the different defense how will the defensive linemen play can they get mosley back on the field you know how will vera tucker work out it, it, a lot of moving parts uh, a lot of new moving parts and that generally means you're going to see some fascinating you know really cool moments and a lot of stuff we're just like whoa this is bad baloney but that's to be expected i think that the thing is i think they have the right people in charge yeah i uh I think you hit on pretty much everything, like kind of my sentiment as well. I think the optimistic, you know, fan as a kid tells me they could win seven or eight games if they get lucky on down the stretch or, you know, a week 16 matchup against Tampa, but is Brady playing in that game or is the division done by that point? Are they playing, you know, Buffalo late in the seat? Like all those types of things, I think, work in their advantage from a record perspective. But I think, like you mentioned, the adaptability of Salah, I think, that's part of the reason I don't think they went heavy after the cornerback market. And obviously you've seen what's happened with Richard Sherman um, in recent days. And, you know, that looks more and more unlikely that'll, you know, he'll be, yeah. Let's. I don't know if he'll be playing in 2021, let alone, um, you know, for the jets, but it was kind of like, Oh, that makes sense. Or why aren't they going to get these veteran corners, Steven Nelson, for example. But I think Salah wants to try to build some of these young guys up and invest money elsewhere. They've, they've been pretty steadfast and, um, I know we talked, we tweeted about this earlier with Carl Lawson and guys like that, that 
excite you from. Oh, he's a stud. He's, 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 he's a stud. awesome. He's one of those yeah. guys that when they signed everyone, oh, five and a half sacks and $15 million a year. I tweeted this out before. He's fourth in pressure. His pass, pass rush win, win rate, like no matter it was, you know, on a normal, like he just, he's really good. If he can stay healthy and they have a Jason Verrett situation with Carl Lawson where he yeah. magically stays healthy under Salah, they'll be, they'll be great. But, you know, I agree with the Wilson stuff as well. I think there's going to be games where he's going to look like, wow, this dude is, like I get the Mormon Mahomes, the whole thing. And then there's going to be other games where it's like, why did he just throw three interceptions? And like those balls should not have ever been thrown, but does it- I'm not, I'm not going anywhere near Mahomes. I would say right now he's Baker Mayfield like, yeah. And I mean, if you yeah, can get into Baker, May- if he can be Baker Mayfield heavy, I think the Jets would be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I, my Tambo mentioned this too. It's like, it's not, it was no slight. He mentioned, you know, the Browns should extend Baker or not. And instead of tagging him and it was like, no matter what, at the end of the day, the Browns draft, they, they hit on that pick. Maybe he'll never be that top five guy, but he's at least a good enough quarterback to get them to the playoffs. And the Jets haven't been to the playoffs in a decade. So at this point, I'll take I'll take somebody that's going to be a competent NFL starter um, and then go from there. But, you know, the excitement level, I think, around the fan base is just like there's hope and optimism and knowing, like you mentioned, the leadership in charge between Salah, Douglas, um, and, you know, and those guys. I think that's what the most exciting part is. But I wonder- well, just to interrupt, my impression from the outside, and I'm all the way across the country, uh, the Jets have tried a lot of quick fixes and a lot of coaches and GMs and, you know, people who are just names, but not really for great reasons. Um, ever since the whole Rex Ryan, Mark Sanchez thing fell apart, it seems like they're in this constant, like, oh, this should work, but it doesn't because you don't have this piece or that piece. Um, you know, to me, I, I thought Bowles got a bit of a raw deal just personnel wise. And then Gase was just, you know, that sort of thing. It's like Gase is like, are you sure you didn't work for Bill Belichick? Because you seem like the kind of, you know, decent assistant, assistant and absolutely rotten head coach who would have worked for Bill. It, it's like you have to go back to Gase's history and go, are you sure, like, for an hour or so, you can go in and get the anti-fairy dust and then leave? So it's it's better now. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. And it's funny. You have, I used to, every single time they'd play the Patriots, they would get smoked every time. It was horrible. But they, Gase had this weird thing with Belichick where, like, because he worked for Saban back in the day, Belichick, like, had some type of respect for him. But nobody else on the field had the respect for Gase that Belichick did. And it was like, are we missing something here? Like, what are we not seeing that, like, none of the players are buying in? The fans aren't bought in. But Bel- Belichick, who's, like, probably the greatest coach of all time, is like, oh, he's good. It's like, is this a mind game? Because I don't like this at all. I don't like the fact that he's pumping up Adam Gase and then we're losing 34 nothing on Monday Night Football. Well, traditionally, the more Belichick says nice, thing, nice things about you, the less he sweats you. It's like, okay, I can say this because whatever. Yeah, that's why we were talking about, um, you know, Mangini and back in the day. And Belichick clearly, thought, I mean, I know the Spygate stuff and it ruined the relationship and the whole nine yards, but he clearly respected Mangini because every time the Jets would play them, he would both, they beat them. A, you know a decent amount for that those prime Patriots years but also Belichick would never say a one word about Mangini whereas like you yep. know McDaniels all these guys just like, oh they're the best they're like yeah okay mm-hmm. sure they are. that's why they keep getting fired every spot they go Matt Patricia um but no I, oh, I think that whole thing yeah yeah that's uh you know him and Gase are the anti that's why Gerard Davis the Jets brought in out of Detroit I actually I feel more confident than I ever have about him because he was a first round pick who was out of position but he played under Matt Patricia his whole career, and you hope that going to a you know a different type of offense, the same way all these Dolphins guys broke out after playing under Gase, that like you get a big jump there. But I want to. I just- think you know Davis just to, to break in. Davis is a good situational guy. Mark Schofield and I do a podcast in season, and we had every week like a "Don't Play Man If You Can't Play Man" award, and the Lions won it most of the time. Like you know, you have nobody who can play man, and because you're Matt Patricia, you're the well, I just run cover zero all the time. And in his case, it was literal cover zero. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if they saw something in, in I, I, you pretty much trust Sala enough to know they, they see something in him. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, we'll see it's how like, it goes. It's like when they're like, "Oh, what's Sam Darnold good at?" It's like do getting out on the move, like making throws, cutting off half the field. You know what we should do? Let's do three step drops where he has to read the entire field, like Peyton Manning, and like hope yep. that's going to go well that that always works and is very successful sure. but um yeah. i want to hit on carl lawson who's a guy that we kind of mentioned a little bit but I, there's been a lot of buzz the last like three to four days of people kind of realizing like there's just been big sack versus pressure argument on twitter and like what's more important and once important once not 
Um, I think they're both important from my perspective. I think they tell two different stories, though. The sacks, you know, Leonard Floyd had 10 and a half sacks last year. I don't think he has those sacks without Aaron Donald next to him. But that doesn't mean Leonard Floyd wasn't a productive player and he shouldn't be credited for those. How big of a jump do you think from, you know, the league-wide perspective we're going to see from Carl Lawson? Because I feel like better defensive line he's around, better talent on defense, better scheme. And also, you know, the 64 pressures last year, he was fourth in the NFL, is a huge number, but only five and a half sacks. How big of a jump do you think we could see there? Because that's that'll get him the recognition league-wide. Yeah. Um, the thing about sacks versus pressures, I mean, obviously you get sacked, the play's over. Um, there are times, there are instances, there are particular quarterbacks where you're actually better getting five pressures against a quarterback than you are two sacks because the play is extended and you don't have the quarterback down. The play is not over, but he's going to throw an incompletion or he's going to throw an interception. You look at historically how quarterbacks have done under pressure, and this is even the best. Um, and most guys, the efficiency goes through the basement. Um, when we talk about the Patriots and Mac Jones, we can get into that because not good. Uh, so with Lawson, I mean, you have to start with what the Bengals were doing. The, Lou Amaruno, their defensive coordinator, it was, you know, I, I would, I know when William Jackson signed with Washington, I, you know, he's one of the five best man corners in the league. And I went back and watched, and, you know, I do these top lists of top corners, top man corners, top zone corners, top safeties. And you watch, you know, whether it's Jackson or Jesse Bates, who's a really underrated guy. And you watch it, it's like, why is the safety over there? What is this guy doing? This guy's great at press. Why is he playing off? And the Bengals have another one of those Matt Patricia situations, in my opinion, where you can't really tell how good these guys are because there's not schematically and positionally being put in their best position to, to succeed. So with a guy like Lawson, what you have to do is turn on the tape, turn on game pass, um, look at the end zone view and see what he's doing. And he, he's got everything you want in an edge rusher, whether it's, you know, straight up four on the floor, wide nine, you know, cutting inside, whatever. Um, speed, movement, uh, dip around the arc. He, you know, he's, he's got all the tools you need to do that, um, to do everything you want. Uh, you know, he's a good run stopper. He's not a one dimensional guy. Um, you know, I'm to the point now where it, it's like if somebody says, well, this guy only had two interceptions. I sort of turn my, there's a, an off switch in my brain going, okay. So if I hear a guy has, you know, X number of sacks, I, I don't immediately disregard everything else they ever say. But now there's an asterisk. Like, really? Come on. Yeah, no, I, I, they've, this, I've had this argument like 500 times about Darrell Revis and everyone's, oh, Revis didn't have a lot of interceptions. I'm like, did you did you watch any of Darrell Revis? Because I, I there was no the ball wasn't thrown to him, so he wasn't targeted. He wasn't yeah, targeted. De Deion Sanders, Namdi Asamoah, all those guys, and you know Dion. Obviously, this is way before there were metrics, so you didn't know how many times Dion was targeted or not. You didn't know. Um, but I was working at Football Outsiders when Namdi was like the man uh, with the Raiders, and he pre, was just pre never targeted. Pre yeah, pretty. Oh God, and they made moved into safety, and it's like. Okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, just to go off on a tangent, my evaluative process is I'll, I'll look at the stats and I have, you know, I subscribe to everything you can subscribe to. And I'll look at the metrics and I'll go, well, okay, that does, you know, this is a really weird stat or this is a cool stat. Let's go turn on the tape and see what it really looks like. So when I see that Carl Lawson doesn't have a lot of sacks, but he has a lot of pressures, like, okay. Um, how much does a Geno Atkins help? You know, how much help does he have around him? Uh, it's like with Bud Dupree going from Pittsburgh to Tennessee. Well, you know, you're not going to have Cam Hayward and Stephon Tewitt and TJ Watt there. So we'll see. Uh, with Lawson, I saw him with not a tremendous amount of help and certainly in a, a set of defensive concepts that I didn't think were all that great. Um, and the guy was balling. So you put him with Salah, who, who knows how to do this. And, you know, is he going to get 120 pressures? Probably not. Um, but he's going to be tremendously, he's going to be more effective, I think, than he was allowed to be in Cincinnati. Yeah, no, I just, every metric I look at, Carl Lawson, non, um, you know, non-sack related, 
he ranks with the same, you know, he ranks with the Bosa brothers and TJ Watt and Aaron Donald and all, and Miles Garrett, obviously like the top, top edge and, you know, big pass rushers in the league. He's up there in every, every single stat, whether it's PFF, ESPN stats and info, you know, on and on and on. So I'm excited for him. I just hope he stays healthy. That's the biggest question mark for me. It's why he fell in the draft, you know, back in, you know, 2016, 2017. And then, you know, People listed him, listed him as having 14 career starts because he's, you know, 51 games. He missed a lot of time in 18 and 19. He's still got 20 career sacks. So it's not like he's some, like, oh, we're just, it's all projections. He's put the tape out there that, that makes the most difference. And playing next to a guy like Quinton Williams, who I'm extremely excited to watch play in his natural 4-3, you know, 3 out. Like, he's going to be a guy that, at Bama, the reason he flashed so much was that he could get these matchups on guards and centers and just use his you know, God-given strength and speed and ability and Nick Saban put him in these great spots. And, and the first couple of years he's, he produced last year, he was really good, but he was still playing. He's trying to eat blocks and, you know, open yeah. up lanes for outside edge rushers, which he could do. And again, that's something that happened with Leonard Williams. I felt like a lot with the Jets was like, mm-hmm. he's not a guy that's probably a 10 sack guy, unless you let him kind of be that dude. He, like he's not, he, you can't let, expect these guys to eat up blocks and be Chris Jenkins and, you know, all these like noses from back in the day and then like also be like get 15 sacks it just doesn't work like that um you get gassed so i'm excited for quinn and, and carl Lawson. well and those guys don't really exist anymore yeah they the, can't the standard like two the standard two gap nose tackle i mean there are, there are a few guys like that but they're rotational at best i mean and the thing about Lawson, i mean he's got you know good stop rate he can stop and drop because in the NFL today, it's so much zero to three step drops and zero to one step drops that no matter how good your edge guy is, he's not always going to get there. So can he go halfway through and then adjust? Can you not play the run? Can you, you know, go into curl flat really quickly? Um, I think he has the acumen to do that. Yeah. I mean, Chris Jenkins and Snacks Harris and all these guys aren't, uh, they, there's those type of athletes. They're just not played at that position anymore. And yeah, so Sean guys, Rogers was one of yeah, my favorites. Yeah, those guys were those guys were awesome to watch. And I had uh, Mike DeVito, former Jet, on, and he was like, "Chris Jenkins did stuff as a two-gapping nose tackle that like oh. just doesn't doesn't exist." He's like, he's like, we beat Indy in 2009. If I'm if Chris Jenkins is playing and not me, I was like, that's super harsh on yourself. But like, Chris Jenkins is ridiculous. So yeah, I'll, 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 just let, I'll take that as a compliment towards Chris. But um, he had what they call old man strength. Oh, yeah, and he was, like, athletic enough. That Panthers defensive line, by the way, is a total tangent from back when they played in, this, you know, the Jake DeLone days and, like, Julius Peppers and Chris Jenkins, all these guys. Like, it is disgusting-level talent of athleticism yeah. on that defense. But, um, Definitely. But, uh, you know, I wanted to touch on a couple of uh, two guys that stand out to me from the offensive side of the ball. Like, we can touch on Michael Carter, but the two guys from a receiving position that I'm most interested to see for different reasons, Denzel Mims is a guy that, Oh, I'm not really sure what to expect yet just because we haven't really seen him fully healthy and came from a Baylor offense with, you know, not the most, uh, you know, in-depth route concepts and all stuff. But Elijah Moore, who's a guy who people widely are like, that was an excellent pick at 34. Mm-hmm. And then Corey Davis is a guy in Tennessee, top 10 pick, started out as a bust and now has moved his way back into like this. He's grades out really well as an underrated receiver in the NFL. What should the expectation level be from the receiver room for the Jets? Because it's a position that's been, quite frankly, awful. Um, we've got guys yeah. that are now playing professional lacrosse that were the Jets' one receiver against Robert Salas' defense last year. Um, how, how, what should the expectations level the expectation level be for that, that Jets receiver room this year? Well, you know, I like Davis. Um, I think when he was really able to shine was when A.J. Brown became the alpha. Um, he's a really good, like a Z, you know – run these routes in this concept you're the inside guy in the switch release then you go outside you can move almost like when eric decker was like in denver and was awesome and then was like once the jets got brandon marshall he became awesome again where it's like he doesn't take up that number one spot but like he's a really really good number two and you can win it not that the jets are going to win a super bowl you can win a super bowl with a bunch of two a guys look at the patriots for god's sake i mean how many like <laughs> through mo- i mean obviously randy moss Wes welker edelman a few guys but they they won super bowl like the, the you know against the rams they won that super bowl with the you know, and givens back in the day well they won they beat the rams with bionic gronk and a bunch of guys who couldn't bust a grape so obviously Edelman accepted uh so and more he's one of those really quick shifty guys I would, I would expect to see him a lot in the slot in the inside slot especially 
um, good option route guy can, can get open quickly, can get open, can present a favorable target to the quarterback. And a lot, cause I would expect that uh, Wilson's going to boot out a ton because he was so good at that. And that's kind of a, a staple of that type of offense. Um, well, the thing about that is you cut the field in half. So your reads are reduced and that, that can be a positive. I mean, reduced reads has kind of saved Andy Dalton's career. <laughs> you know, if you gave, if you get, like you said about Darnold, if you do a three-step in full field, his head's going to explode because he's never done that. Um, you know, I, I think their receivers are, they're guys who, yeah, Mims, I don't know. Um, haven't really seen that at the NFL level. Um, and obviously the, the transition can be interesting. You know, I, I think they've done a nice job. I don't want to look over, I don't, don't want to overlook Carter here as a receiving threat out of the backfield. Yeah, and the amount of touches he's he got out of the backfield would be. He's like, also be a guy, I mean, one big trend that the Saints were all over under Peyton, um, Reggie Bush to, to Sproles to obviously Alvin Kamara, is you put a ton of pressure on that third linebacker if there is a third linebacker, which if like if you're playing the Packers, there's only one. Um, but or that box safety that you know Jamal Adams in Seattle thing, which don't know about that. Uh, but you know, so you could have a situation where to the the dominant side of the field, you could have Corey Davis outside, you could have Elijah Moore inside, you run Michael Carter out of the backfield in the inside slot, and you know, things get interesting. So they've got they don't have any all-timers that I see, but they've got a lot of guys who I think over time, and this just takes time, but they have a lot of guys with complementary skill sets who can work well together in that type of offense where it's, you know, um, I didn't really say their tight end situation. So I don't know how much that's going to be a, a factor, probably not a lot. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that goes, but, you know, like I said, you can, you can do a lot of damage without, you know, amazing receivers. And I think they're set up to at least be above average, which as you intimated would be a marvelous stretch for them. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't, I can't underestimate the, the running back position. Like that's a huge part of that offense. And it's a huge part of the NFL game of having guys that can catch the ball out of the backfield and, and create mismatches. And they, all of the NFL is about creating a mismatch and creating an yep. advantage versus. It's all about game. matchups and spacing. Yeah. It's it, to me, it's less about scheme. It's less about, or you're running cover zero. Well, you're not really because you're running cover one and then you're flipping to cover zero pre-snap to try and confuse the quarterback. Um, it is less about it. To me on defense, it's less about what scheme you're playing. It's about matchups and spacing and on offense. It's less about, are you running, you know, the Andy Reid or the Mike Holmgren or the Bill Walsh West Coast offense, or, you know, how are you creating ex explosive plays? That's really become, you know, you hear that more and more talked about. How are you creating explosive plays? Well, Zach Wilson is an explosive play waiting to happen uh, once in a while um, for the defense. But um, so they're, they're set up pretty well on offense to do that. And Carter, by the way, broke a lot of tackle. I mean, he's, a, he's, I don't know what his size, if he's going to be the quote unquote foundation back. I don't know how many quote unquote foundation backs there are, but certainly as a rotational factor, I think he's going to be great. Yeah, no, Ryan Roberts just uh, went on the potty. He was like, if they can get him 150 carries and 50 to 60 touches out of the backfield and then try to supplement these those other 150 touches between Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Michael P. Ryan, then you're in a good spot where now it's like you kind of – it's running back by committee, but like Carter's the guy that's getting the you know majority of touches and not putting too much on his shoulders. I just think – I think – yeah, you mentioned the tight end room too. The tight end room's – it's all going to be, can Chris Herndon be consistent for more than four to five games at a time? It's been his whole career with the Jets has been and his whole career at Miami. And it was all like the flashes there. He's athletic. He, he's good hands at like, you know, the, you know, trying to in different formations and things. And you've seen the success of guys like George Kittle. He's not going to be George Kittle. So I'm not worried about that. But at the same time, A, nobody is. And B, they don't need that. They just need some type of threat that they can not, like be able to alternate personnel and kind of, put themselves in good matchups and not have to just stay 11 personnel the entire game and rely on. Well, and you go back to that. I mean, LaFleur doesn't have to be the next Sid Gilman to make this offense look a lot better. 
the bar is the bar is underground. The they have to dig. They have to lower. dig up the bar and put it back to like minus two of league average, and they can go to plus two, and then it you know becomes a whole different thing. If you look at the, it's one of those things like New York sports, and I've talked about this in the pod before, even though it's you know mostly just podcasts. I talk about it all the time, but like New York sports are finally getting to a spot where they were when I was a kid, and like from like '94 through like 2005, and the Jets and the Giants have been the two worst teams in football combined record-wise and offense-wise the last, like, five years. And, you know, Giants fans don't like to admit that. They think the Jets are awful, which the Jets have not been good. But just a friendly reminder that your your Giants have been equally, if not as bad. Um, So I'll be interested to see how that kind of goes. And they have a lot of pressure, the Giants. I know it's a bit of a tangent, but they have a lot of pressure this year because there's a lot of talent around Daniel Jones. There's a lot of talent on that roster. Joe Judge has gotten a lot of praise so far. And they were in the worst division of football and couldn't get it done last year. So I don't know. The guy to watch, uh, the the coach to watch to me is Daniel Graham, the defensive coordinator. Did an excellent job scheming guys up. Um, I don't know, future head coach, but certainly someone who's, I I think the more over the next couple of years, I think that's the name you're going to hear a lot more, just in general circles. Yeah, no, he was the Jets had interview requested him for the head coaching position just to take the interview. And Joe Judge kind of gave him a mini extension and was like, you can take it. But I think he, He's built a good staff, and you know, Garrett, Jason Garrett's got his interesting um, play calling, you know, to say the least. But I wanted to get a little bit. I posed this question on Twitter the other day, and there's no press. I don't need, you know, you don't have to give a hot take. It's you know, whatever you feel. But I was saying, projecting out, you know, you go three years down the line, every AFC's quarterback, granted Daniel Jones. I mean, uh, granted Cam Newton is the Patriots probably starter week one, but. They're all young, year one, year two, year three. Josh Allen's already an MVP candidate, top five guy. So he's probably going to be one no matter what. But how would you? How do you think these other three quarterbacks are going to shake out over the next couple of years? Tua, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson all have what seems like strengths and some have more bigger flaws than others. Mostly, I think the bigger flaws lie with the Alabama quarterbacks. But um, if you had to rank you know, two through four of how these guys you know, shake out over the next couple of years, what would you kind of project out? It's, it's a fun question. It's purely on the ability to consistently move the ball in the passing game because that it, it most of the time you're more about sustaining in the passing game than the run game these days. And the ability to create explosive plays without just having your head explode and turning into Bobby Brady trying to throw the ball. Um, there's a Jets reference for you. Um, I would say... Allen, obviously, then Wilson, then Tua, and Mac Jones, way, 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 way down. That's how I ranked it also, because I felt like Wilson. I mean, I don't, I don't think we understand how much of a problem the NFL is going to be for Mac Jones. I don't, I don't oh, think I we do. really, yeah. <laughs> I've been. Uh, I thought Tua was going to have an issue. And every, when he was coming out, I remember, like, I love Trent Dilfer. I actually really like, like, listening to him talk about quarterbacks. I think he does a great job of lead 11 and all that stuff. But he was like, absurdly high on Tua. He was the best quarterback prospect he's ever seen. And I, I've written him a couple of times to, like, to want to talk about it. But he was, I just, he throws a really heavy ball to me. And I feel like the NFL, like, I don't like the fact that your head coach, who was there when you got drafted, did not trust you enough in a primetime game. And, like, that that's like you know fits his, his whatever but I, that stuff was a little weird as a rookie just not trust now he's two offensive coordinators i don't know i just don't love the situation he's in even if there's well let's let's take a minute and break that down um because i did a, a tape piece about that you're talking about the denver game where they just he they pulled him out of there for his own good well he saw uh, vic fangio and his staff did like postgraduate level stuff that he'd probably never seen before um, I'm not defending Tua. I'm just saying, you know, man match uh, switches, uh, all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's a reason. Yeah, that Denver defense is awesome. It's going to be fantastic this year. Personnel and scheme. Uh, Von Miller's 80% of what he used to be. Yeah, watch out. But of course, then you have the quarterback issue there. Um, Tua is a timing and rhythm Trade guy. For Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they'd lose a game. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers and Javante Williams? Javante Williams Corlin is going to be scary. Sutton coming back. Noah Fant is yeah. awesome. He gets a little not as much respect yeah. as he should. Javante Williams, he's he's Nick Chubb. He's Marshawn Lynch and Nick Chubb in a box. Um, anyway, uh, going back to Tua, 
timing rhythm guy can can throw on the move decently mobile uh, he's you know he's that alabama high floor medium ceiling guy that you get a lot Najee harris is that he does everything well he doesn't do anything in a way that'll just blow your face off um for the most part he's not going to crap his pants and cost you a bunch of games um he was better than average last year in his rookie season um it it's it, it, there's a lot of recency bias there and it, it, it at any position the one and i always say this the one thing you do badly will eradicate the 500 things you do well so he has a one game and then you go back and look at it and you're like well this is it was like uh it was like trey lance against uh central arkansas where all of a sudden central arkansas went all todd Bowles on his ass and he didn't know what to do and a lot of times rookie quarterbacks don't you throw coverages at them that they have never seen when in Alabama, it's about running a bunch of RPOs and just having your for future top five receiver demolishing every cornerback. Your decision process is pretty much wait for the guy to get open. <clears throat> Again, secondaries that, as Alabama has gone more speed, have even less of a chance to catch up and sort of regenerate their ideas and go, okay, what do we do now? You know, not now that we've got punched in the mouth, what is our plan? To paraphrase Mike Tyson. Um, I think two is, I think he'd be fine. I don't think he'll ever be like a top five guy, but you know, do they take someone with potentially higher upside in a couple of years? Um, and this is something else we can talk about because Brian Flores is a defensive coach and you know, this defensive head coaches generally historically, they view offense as something that needs to be controlled as exposed to some, as opposed to something can, that can be exploited. So you're going to want the guy who, does the right things and you will sacrifice explosive play after explosive play um, to have that happen. <clears throat> so if two comes out, wants to throw a bunch of bang eights, you know, like, okay, you were throwing skinny slants before. What are you doing? That's not what we do here. Uh, it's run game. It's defense and you do your job. Um, I think his ultimate upside is probably, <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's Russell Wilson, but I would say it's what Pete Carroll wants Russell Wilson to do and what Russell doesn't always do. That's to his, I think to the thing about Tua and that one game and people, Oh, they didn't trust him. Well, they didn't trust him against coverage that he, and, and he said as much. I was with the coach. He's like, yeah, I, the, I saw stuff from the Broncos that I'd never seen before. Um, that will happen. It just, you know, I remember last year, Aaron Rodgers played the Panthers. Packers played the Panthers, and Aaron Rodgers said that defense, that sort of 3-3-5 Baylor stuff that Phil Snow put on the field, said it looked strange. <coughs> Excuse me. And Panthers almost came away with that one. So if you can still confuse Aaron Rodgers, I mean, there you go. Yeah, no, I the problem with two is like he played reasonably well. I thought five, or I think it was five of the eight starts, whatever it was, but the three games he struggled were Denver, Oakland, the Oakland one makes no, I mean, that Vegas one makes no sense because the Raiders defense, I could, I could run for a hundred yards against the Raiders defense last yeah. year. The Jets had Josh Adams and Ty Johnson both go for hundred pieces. Um, and then and that cornerback defensive backfield, Kate Poots just. Yeah. Well, had, uh, you look more and more at that, that draft where they had three first round picks and it looks worse and worse by the day. Um, it was like the Browns when they had all those first rounders and they took like, uh, what was it? Gilbert and Brandon Gilbert Whedon. and Brandon Whedon and they, I think I think was Manziel the third. Yeah, yeah, it was one of them. It was like crazy. They just like took all like that draft, like 14 of the 15 first like top picks are still in the league. And yeah. Justin Gilbert's the one guy that's not. Never, never go grocery shopping hungry, never go grocery shopping hungry and stoned. I think the Raiders are kind of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wind up with a yeah. whole shopping cart full of gummy bears just because you wanted them and Okay. Yeah, no, you look at a lot of the Alabama stuff and it's, it's difficult because it's like, I don't want to not give Mac Jones and, and Tua credit for what they did because they did their job well. Um, but as you mentioned, A, playing with a defensive head coach in both their cases, um, it's don't mess it up, you know, more of the Garoppolo, where Sanchez was when he was with the Jets or just like those are guys that come to mind of like... You're a point guard. Yeah. And I will say that Tua, Tua has, in my mind, I don't want to denigrate Mac Jones too much, but Tua just from the ability and we're talking about two AFC East teams. So I'll combine it Tua and Mac Jones. Mac Jones has no second reaction ability whatsoever. It's not just about evading pressure and, you know, moving outside and moving up in the pocket. It's he doesn't run boot. He can't like tip his shoulders and throw. 
because he just was not asked to do that. It was RPO, RPO, this, bang, bang, bang. Um, I <laughs> asked him about this at his pro day, the, the press availability for that, because I'd written this thing, and I just don't know in today's NFL if you cannot have second reaction ability. And my hypothetical question is, like, if Peyton Manning came into the NFL now, Philip Rivers came to the NFL now, Drew Bledsoe, Brill- Drew these guys who were basically statues with cannons attached, where would they be drafted? as opposed to <clears throat> 93, 98, 2000, whatever. If Tom Brady came into the league right now, would he even be drafted? Because you used to be able to, it used to be a lot more okay. You know, would Kurt Warner have even been allowed to come into the NFL? You know, what would those guys look like now? Tua at least has second reaction ability. Matt Jones doesn't. And honestly, with covered switches and line switches and guys moving multi-gap and stunts and this and that and all kinds of weird blitzes. I don't know if you can survive in the NFL without that. I get it's the Patriots and Hey, we had a guy who didn't move for 20 years. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, if you want to compare the outlier to the norm, go for it. Yeah, no, I just, that's why I'm not as high on the Patriots. And it's not because like, I think they did a lot of stuff that was very unpatriot-like. Like Bill kind of knew we've drafted really, really poorly the last decade and we got away with it because I schemed up well defensively, maximized talent, and then offensively we had the greatest quarterback of all time, you know, on our roster and, and it worked. Um, it, it's just difficult for me, the fact that you you pay the way you, like the way you build teams in the NFL, it's just shown that like you draft really well and then you supplement with free agency. And it's like one or two of those guys and a lot more veterans than it is like big money to every single person on the market. And Jets fans know that better than anybody. It just, yeah. it's maybe, it, maybe it works year one, but usually it's because you have a quarterback in place. Not, you know, Cam was really bad last year. And I love Cam. I've, I've loved watching him play football. I just don't know how much left is in the tank and Matt Jones, I'm not high on at all. Um, I think that he, you need, I think he could, the best situation for him is this team around him is awesome. And he's just like doing exactly what's asked and that's it. I don't think he's elevating Nelson Aguilar to be good to then be great. Or he's not elevating, you know, Johnny Smith to be George Kittle next year because, no. you know, Johnny Smith's a good, you know, so that's why I'm more confident with, I ranked it Alan Wilson to, a, and then Matt, same as you. Um, it's, it's hard for me to like, optimistically, I'd love, to, you know, Zach Wilson to be Josh Allen in three years. I don't even think anybody was like Josh Allen's going to be a top five guy and the guy that's probably the second or third quarterback in the NFL you build around for the next decade. If you're asking somebody 12 months ago, so the AFC is interesting because it's all young guys, but it's also like well, a couple yeah, a couple things about the Patriots, and I think their thought process last year and this year. Uh, Belichick knew that Brady was gone. You can't, you don't replace Tom Brady. You have to like rebuild everything and, and do it a different way. So he went a different way with Cam Newton. Uh, Newton had no preseason and he had a COVID issue in season. So I remember looking, watching Patriots tape and thinking, God, why is a run game so vanilla? Cause you would think Belichick having not had a quarterback like this, except for Jacoby Brissett against the Texans in week three of the Spygate year. Um, when they ran basic read option and beat the Texans 27, nothing because you know, they were the Texans. Um, I could see a decent bounce from cam because he will understand the offense more completely. Um, he ran Earhart Perkins at Carolina. Now, Earhart, you know, it's, you know, it might be different play calls to its extent, different receiver splits, slightly different terminology. But I remember when people were saying like, oh, the Patriots should go get Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's never run Earhart Perkins in his life. Like he ran whatever he ran at TCU and then he ran West coast and then, you know, reduced passing game in Cincinnati. But I'm not sure okay. last year, if you watched the Cowboys with all the weapons they had all over the field injuries or not, you know, see kind of shape or not the amount of weapons they had. And the fact that he still didn't look very good. I'm not sure how you're like, people were like, Oh yeah. Andy Dolan's the answer in Chicago or in New England. Like just didn't. Yeah. He's a, he's a really good backup at this point in his career. And that's what he is. And that's okay. But just understand that's what you're getting. You're not getting the pro bowl guy that had, the most talented roster arguably in the NFL that three-year stretch that couldn't win a playoff game at home. So the Patriots, so anyway, Belichick knew he was going to have a bunch of opt-outs. I think they had eight opt-outs on defense. And so they played more zone than man trying to cover and their defense just went off a cliff. That's not going to happen two years in a row. Not, not with him, not with Bill. Bill doesn't do that. (laughs) Um, I think Kim will be more conversant in the offense now. The Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry thing is interesting. And then you add an Aguilar and 
I don't know the numbers in front of me, but and people don't realize this, Aguilar's deep receiving numbers were comparable to Tyreek Hill's. If you have a PFF subscription, you can look that up. And you're like, whoa. Um, but as I said, the one thing you do wrong, and we all know what Aguilar, you know, the drop and whatever. Um, you know, Belichick looks at the Chiefs, and there's that. I mean, Mark Schofield and I have both written about this play, and Greg Cosell calls it like the most uncoverable formation route combination in the NFL. When you have the Y ISO on the backside and the two slot receivers, and your inside slot guy is your speed guy. So it's Kelsey and Tyree Kill, and good luck because however you guess, you guess wrong. Well, with Hunter Henry and Nelson Aguilar, they actually have uh, the capacity to do that. And then you bring in Johnny Smith, and Belichick has praised his blocking for a long time. I'm not saying they're going to be the Chiefs. I would expect a pretty severe uptick in offense. Just an offensive efficiency, not necessarily amazing explosive plays, but I mean, when Tom Brady said in the second, like right around the midpoint of the 2019 season, how unhappy he was, it wasn't because his diet was off. Uh, it was because he had no receivers. Uh, that's not going to happen again. So I don't think the Patriots are like necessarily going to the Super Bowl. Uh, what happened last year, I, I don't want to say it was a planned obsolescence for the old Patriot way, but I think you're going to see enough different stuff that works. Yeah, just looking up, Aguilar had 900 yards on 48 touches, which was like he the highest going into last year. The highest yards per touch he had was in his career was like 11 or 12 in his five years with Philly, and last year was almost 19 yards a touch, which is huge yards per target. Was the highest in his career. Like he he was really good last year, and like he. I mean, say what you want about John Gruden. John Gruden figured out how to make Aguilar a really good player in that regard. I, which he really I, hadn't been before. I like, like, as much as people don't want to, sometimes don't want to admit, like, Gruden as an actual coach, I love. I just don't love the fact that he's more of, like, the team-building guy, too, right now. And, like, that's not, has not seemed to work quite the yeah. way um, he, he was looking for. It. No, but I, I agree. Like, I think the Patriots will be, they, sh- they can't be, like, I, at the beginning of the year, was not, like, wouldn't have been shocked if Brady, I mean, Belichick was like, I want to get Trevor Lawrence, and I'm just going to lose every game here, knowing I'm going to, you know, a total rebuild autonomy to do so i'm glad yeah. i'm glad for the jets that they you know ended up with mac jones and i think the more cams on the field it's better for the patriots than the last yeah that's the that's a real spike strip i mean maybe i'm wrong certainly betting against bill belichick is not a smart thing to do um I, with mac jones i didn't see it then again i didn't see it with justin herbert either so uh it's no, not I, like the, I'm, I my claim like i'm biggest darnold guy and i always was and so like i missed on that or at least initially i've missed but I was so spot on with Herbert and I was purely out of like, if Sam wasn't going to be good, I needed to back up another one of my Pac-12 boys. And like, yeah, I'm a USC guy. And like the way Herbert carved up USC in the Coliseum and then the Rose Bowl performance, I was like, the skills are there. He gave me a lot of Josh Allen vibes where it was like the physical traits, like you can't teach that arm and that size and that strength and like yep. the ability to move. And, but like at the same time, I think he ends up anywhere else other than the Chargers, like in that draft. He's just personality wise, he's like a quiet guy from the, like the, uh, the yeah. West Coast, and he ended up in a good spot. And he's in LA, but it's a small market because they're the Chargers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing, my mistake with Herbert was, and when you do this with Mac Jones, it becomes a real problem. Uh, I didn't, uh, I know to isolate the quarterback from what can be a really disadvantageous offensive system which i think he had at oregon mac jones is like the inverse like if you isolate him outside of offensive game plans that i mean i i was surprised sarkeesian didn't get back to the nfl off of what he called last year because it was just utterly brilliant he was literally incredible you watched that notre dame game they were doing it mid-game breaking it down i was like holy shit like these schemes and i don't care how good the players are you still have to be able to drop stuff to put guys in good situations Every single play was like, there's somebody wide open. And Notre Dame was not a bad team last year. Like, Yeah, and then and then you have, you know, Waddle and Hurts and Mechie and all those guys. You have that on. And, and, and so with Mac Jones, I mean, yeah, I don't have much more to say about Mac Jones, except yeah, I I think they goofed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad the Jets ended up where they did. Well, f- I'll finish up a couple, like, fun topics, and then we'll get, you know, um, there's three big storylines, I think, quarterback-wise that are in the NFL right now. It's Rodgers, Watson, and then the QB extensions for Lamar, 
Allen and, and Baker. Wanted to start with with Rodgers. I don't think he gets traded. I don't think it make. I don't think there's a way it works for him to get traded. I think if anything, he maybe gets a mini extension where it's like here's a little bit more guaranteed money. You know, we'll you know whatever ease smooth everything over, um, and then we'll reevaluate it next year. I think the time to do it would have been that 12 hour stretch during the draft when Schefter reported. Yes. Like the Broncos made so much sense to me. I, I don't. If I was the Broncos, I would have given up everything and. And, and more to get that done because they probably win the Peyton Manning Super Bowl kind of thing. They well, did. I think the problem is they would have had to. Yeah. Yeah. I, because this isn't Peyton Manning coming off all the next stuff and can he even play? This is one of the um, best quarterback seasons I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. He's 38 um, to play five more years. I think Rodgers, uh, well, here's all I think it'll go. I think he'll come back. I think he and the front office will agree to a deal that is cap friendly enough for the team that gets him in a, in a trade to allow the Packers to get more draft picks out of it because they're going to need them. Um, so you have to make the cap thing favorable enough because the, the right now, the way it looks is it, it's something like 70 million over two seasons. It, it's just like, it's the, the cap part is more prohibitive in this season the way, you know, obviously the downturn, the cap part's more prohibitive than the three first round picks and whatever you'd have to give up to get him. Um, Cause teams do that all the time. You throw your draft picks, get the guy. Um, so I think it'll be the Packers and Rogers agreeing to, if the, if there's an extension, the extension will be to make, to make it less of a burden cap wise for the team that gets him. And I think you'll play one more year with the Packers. I think he will absolutely crush it. And then he'll go wherever he goes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the same page. I think that plus the Packers in a situation where in a year, I'm pretty sure Bakhtiari, Adams, and the Rodgers are all going to have to either be extended or stumped. And walk in Aaron Judge's contract's really a one-year deal with three extra years of like, we're giving this to you, but like you could walk next year. So they're in a, they have a one-year stretch right now. And the NFC, I still think, is open. I think they still should have beaten the Bucs in that game. I, I don't know how you don't let Aaron Rodgers. He should have run it in on third down, but I don't know how you don't go for it. Um, yeah, that's the best left tackle and the best receiver in football. You got to re-up. By the yeah, way. it's, so, it's so arguably the best. Yeah, I have fun re-upping the three most important offensive positions at one time. Um, yep. The other guy, I'm, we don't, I don't want to touch on the legal stuff, but do you think, A, Watson plays this year, and B, I've, I feel like Philly is the you know, destination that makes the most sense. And if not, Miami did, but I don't know if they'll really do it. Um, do you, a, you think a trade happens, or do you think Watson's just like a kind of a goner for 2021? I don't want to touch on the legal stuff either, except yeah. to say that if everything is true, he doesn't play this year. He never plays for the Texans again because you got guys like Easterby and that whole dumpster fire. I don't know if they're going to win the game, by the way. Um, if you think the Jets are going to this bad, <laughs> look at that. Yeah. yeah, that's it's not good. That's a that's a kingdom implosion. It's like two dumpster fires crashing into each other and then crashing into a third dumpster fire. Yeah. Roster coach and front office, all who I'm not sure you know what they're doing, and it's not great. Yeah, not good. Um, as far as we're, I, I don't know if he gets traded this year. I, I you know, I don't even know where to go with that because. I don't know how much of this is true. If it's 100% true, I can't see him playing this year. There's a lot to investigate. The season is right around the corner. I mean, they can put him on commissioner's exempt and just sort of wait and see. Um, Roger Goodell has proven in multiple cases that even with the wheels of justice turning slowly, he'll just he'll rubber stamp what he wants to do. And if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed or a bad bunch of weeds and decides I'm going to suspend a Sean Watson for the rest of the year. And I don't give a crap what you think he'll do it. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, it's very hard for me to project what ha Watson is a top five quarterback in the NFL, but that almost doesn't matter right now, which is yeah, no. nuts to say the amount of stuff you have to have in the way for that not to matter is like, I mean, you haven't really seen that since you really haven't seen that since Michael Vick where it doesn't matter how good you are. And that's kind of where Deshaun Watson is at this point. And yeah, no. again, I don't know. I have no clue whatsoever. I would not dare to opine on it could be, you know, zero to 100 about what's true, what's not where this goes, but yeah, he probably doesn't play this year and he will never play for the Texans again, which, 
you know, if you really wanted to punish him, you just keep him there. Yeah, no, he's got because boy, are they going left. to suck? <laughs> no, they they are not going to be good. And um, like I said, I think Denver, Miami, and Philly are the teams with both draft capital and rosters of some sort, or cities that are desirable enough for those, you know, the Rodgers and the the Watsons of the world, if they were to get moved, which I don't think it's possible to move Rodgers at this point, like you mentioned, and Watson, unless something gets solved in the next. Well, his situation, it's like taking a a 40 gallon barrel of, you know, nuclear waste and saying, hey, can I leave this in your garage? Why don't you wait until the the 40 gallon drum is cleared out of the toxic waste and then we'll talk about it. You know, it's interesting to look back at like the Jets end up with Zach Lewis and Elijah Moore and Elijah Vera Tucker, which is, I think, a great return and Michael Carter and their first four picks and we'll see what else happens. But I, I think the Jets were interested in Deshaun and like, it's crazy to think like it would have been so Jets for the Jets to actually get Deshaun Watson. And then that stuff get dropped like a week later and be like, Oh, well, oh, yeah. we just gave up four first round picks and this guy's suspended forever. So yeah. Vera Tucker, by the way, really good player. Uh, everyone talks about the Oregon game. Keelan Thibodeau is going to be like a top three draft pick. Next and he was year, playing so. tackle and he's not going to play tackle. That's yeah. at least this year. So I'm not. And he could play. T- I think he could be a starting left tackle in this league. Yeah. But- yeah, they got the, you know, they got Becton, who's, he's pretty good. Yeah, no, I think Barry Tucker is probably, a, it could be a starting left tackle or right tackle. I mean, I feel like he could be an all-pro level guard, and I think it's okay to, yep. it's okay to have that happen. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about quickly is the quarterback extension market, because the Goff and Wentz extensions, I feel like, along with Cousins and Carr and these guys, it's really difficult when you extend guys. We'll leave um, Wentz part out of it because I think he was a top five guy at one point and is now not. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Wentz, Goff versus Wentz, let's start there. Wentz, nobody saw that coming. Um, so I remember writing ex- about it. Even in two years ago, even 2019, he was really good with that horrible Eagles roster and then like got them to the playoffs like, and he gets hurt again, of course. But well, he's, he was, he's always been mechanically inconsistent. Um I can refer to Darnold on that. His, the way I like to put it, it was with Darnold, his upper and lower bodies frequently have arguments. <laughs> it's not always put together very well. Um, so Carson Wentz has always had some mechanical issues that he was able to sort of transcend for this or that reason. Uh, when he got his extension, I'm writing like, yeah, there are issues, but I'm okay with it. When Goff got his extension, I'm like, you guys are nuts. I cannot believe you did this because Goff wakes up in the morning and starts bumping his head against his own ceiling and he never stops. Good luck when your best receiver is a Monroe St. Brown. Good luck. They bet, the Lions have better run the ball 800 times because that is an absolute disaster. I don't think Goff will be a starting quarterback in two years. So Goff and Wentz, who knows? Uh, so to get that out of the way. I don't, you know, you don't want to always plug everyone else's podcast, but if you listen to McVeigh, McVeigh and Schrager's podcast, Flying Coach is exceptional. Oh, Flying Coach is awesome. It's, it's yes. awesome. It's I saw that episode for Jets fans. I would highly recommend. It's going to make you yep. love even more. The one but, with Brandon, the one with Brandon Staley in particular was really, like, I, really I feel so much smarter now. Yeah, that's great stuff. And the Shanahan and one. And the, the Kyle Shanahan, yeah. the Kyle Shanahan one will give you a lot of insight into what I think the LaFleur offense will look like as well. Absolutely. And it's like, it's, that it's really cool to hear him, but like the cool thing, the interesting thing to me, if you actually wanted to evaluate the way McVeigh thinks of golf or thought of golf, he's brought him up one time in the 10 episodes or nine episodes this season, one time. And it was literally only because they were talking about the NFC title game and how loud it was. And just, he had to communicate with golf. But like he talks about Stafford the whole time. I know Stafford's his quarterback now and he traded for him, but it, it's incredible to watch a guy that he took, he McVeigh took to an MVP level that one year and then into the Super Bowl and they made the playoffs every year. And he has not one thing to say about golf hasn't come up once. So I'm going to age myself with this reference. Um, let's say that Sean McVay is Jimi Hendrix and Jared Goff is Noel Redding, the bass player in the Jimi Hendrix experience. Noel Redding is not going to go to the faces or the kinks and still be that good. Let's just, yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I'm just interested to see how people, um, how the Browns, Ravens, and Bills handle this because I think the race to get something done first so you don't get screwed. Like the Browns, in my opinion, if they're going to extend Baker, which they most likely either should or they should at least. I, I absolutely, all due respect to Mike Tannenbaum, and I've heard him ex- express that opinion before. I, I couldn't disagree more. I, I, mean, like, I think they need to do it first, though, because I think you don't want to get screwed with like, oh, a quarterback in my own division and, and the AFC like, just got right. $3 million a year. And Lamar is an interesting because 
we were talking about players that they needed to go to this team. I think that's absolutely true with Lamar. First of all, they run more than any other team. Second of all, similar to Vic in Atlanta, 2004 through 2006, they led the league in rushing every year. Lamar is a crucial, like the epicenter of that entire run game. And it's not because he's running the ball. It's because, oh, crap, is he? We always have to focus two guys on him. It's not a spy. It's spies. Spies are us. Um, But then you look at Lamar's performance outside the numbers when the middle of the field is closed. And these things really have not resolved themselves in his professional career. I know he was a unanimous MVP in 2019, and I get it. And I was starting to see some improvement. The Tennessee playoff game where Dean Pease just ate his lunch. That kind of presaged, okay, coming into 2020, is he going to take the proverbial next step? I think he regressed in a lot of ways. So now it's like, well, we're not going to give him the Patrick Mahomes contract because there's only one. Do we give him the Russell Wilson four-year 140? Would he accept that? I think he's still unagented. Uh, Does he realize hey, if I go to, you know, let's say I replace Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and they want to throw 600 times, I'm screwed. I'm going to get exposed. I mean, not that not that Lamar is a bad passer. Um, he's actually a lot better in the pocket than people think he is. But he's not that guy. I don't know if he'll ever be that guy. And I don't know if they, I don't think the Ravens want him to be that guy. Um, they're perfectly happy doing what they do. Very few teams do that. Um you know, if Seattle just gets tired of Russell Wilson and, you know, Pete Carroll loses his mind, I could see Lamar in Seattle because it's kind of that same principle. But, you know, I think the 4140 that Russell got, I think that would be entirely intelligent on the Ravens' part. You know, I heard people say after the Mahomes deal, well, what if Lamar gets a quarter of a billion as opposed to Mahomes getting half a billion? I, I think you're overvaluing the quarterback. I know Bucky Brooks said that they should graduate from Lamar. And I said, and I, I brought this point up to talk about the golf thing again, when they signed God to that extension, that what I wrote was they should have moved on. They should have gone full metal money ball and said, okay, we're going to draft the next guy because we know exactly what golf is and far more importantly, what he isn't. And we've seen with golf that there's a lot more isn't than is. I think there's a lot more is with Lamar, but there are still a lot of question marks as there is with Mayfield uh, with Allen. uh, That was a weird triptych of a season where they started out and for some reason, which you don't usually do with mobile quarterbacks, the bills paced a ton of man coverage in the first part of the season. And Brian Dabble, who I don't know how he didn't get a head coach. I I thought he was getting that Chargers job for sure. Totally. Um, and I think Staley just, you know, Staley is the guy. He's the name, which justifiably so. Uh, so they ripped up man coverage. Then all of a sudden he started seeing more zone and more switches and all. And his head kind of exploded for a while. So they went back to really rudimentary stuff. And by the playoffs, he was kind of getting it. And that would indicate hypothetically that Josh Allen is just going to come in and bust it all up, be an MVP candidate. I don't see why not. Um that's going to get interesting because if he does that, then he could be the guy as the cap starts increasing. It wouldn't be Lamar Jackson who gets the quarter of a billion deal. It's Josh Allen. Whereas with Lamar, there are still these legitimate question marks that could hurt him in the room. With Allen, I think there are slightly fewer questions. Yeah, I think their ability is an issue too. Not that Lamar has not been durable, and the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't take for a guy that runs a lot, he's so he fast. doesn't take a lot of hits. He's so fast, and, he doesn't get hit. It's crazy. Like usually, yeah. He and get hit. let me be clear: I don't think Lamar Jackson is a bad passer. Um, I don't think he's a great passer. So when I say the one thing, I don't mean the other. I don't. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson sucks. I'm not an idiot. At least not about that. Um, it's just you know. I think the Ravens need to pay him commensurately what's he, what he's worth. And I think Lamar Jackson has to realize that he is in the ideal situation for what he does and what he does not do. Yeah, no, that's a, that's hundred percent fair. I think the Josh Allen thing is super interesting just because 
he probably gets, if I had to guess, like the way they've talked about this with the tag and, and stuff like that, like he maybe gets with Deshaun got was like four for 160 and like similar to what Dak got. But if he takes another step and they wait, because it doesn't seem like they're in a rush to get this extension done. And Brandon Bean's awesome at his job, by the way. I don't yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, I know who he's doing. Yeah, and it'll be just interesting to see how these three extensions get handled. But last quick, uh, you kind of mentioned. And by the way, when the broadcast money hits like really hard in a couple of years, it may not matter. You know, oh, yeah, a quarterback, and he, a $200 million deal would be like, oh, yeah, another one of those. Boom. Yeah, like it's not going to, it's like the same thing when that, that summer of, I think 2013 or 2014 the nba where the broadcast money all hit in the summer yeah. and travis outlaw got four for 80 from the nets and the whole whatever so it's um absolute mess Ugh. absolute mess. but um yeah no last last quick question two we'll do two-parter just a quick prediction one what's your jets prediction for from a record perspective i think you mentioned earlier and over under 3500 yards for zach wilson passing it'd be like the jets it's only happened once in jets history so yeah, they were one of – was it the Bears and the Jets? You never had a 4,000-yard pass from the 16-game era. I wrote about both of those. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think they win six – I think they go six and 11. I think they're competitive in 10. I think they become a royal pain in the ass over the next couple of years, um, which is what you want. I mean, when when Salah went to San Francisco with Shanahan, they were – you know, that was kind of the same deal. Over, under – I think if – I think if Zach Wilson throws for over 3,500 yards – could mean he's also throwing a lot of picks because what I call the rogue gene, they're going to have to sort of beat that out of them. <laughs> it doesn't always happen the first year. Um, is he famous Jameis? I don't think it's that bad, but um, you know, he's, he's going to, you, you should get ready for some really head scratching like WTF interceptions coming. Um, probably the over because they don't have like a, a foundation running back and yeah, I would say slightly over. Yeah, no, it's fair. I, I think uh, if Wilson throws for over that, he's probably – my brother wrote an article on it for the 30-13. Yeah, I haven't looked at it, but odds on like, betting money for the rookie of the year. He's probably the best bet based on the fact that the Jets are going to try to, like, really let him grow here. And he's probably got more talent. I think he's got more talent than Trevor Lawrence does. And I think those are the two guys that play the most games as a rookie. From a quarterback perspective, Trey Lance, I think, eventually will be awesome in San Francisco. I think it's just going to – they're not going to rush that. And – same with fields in Chicago. And Here's what fascinates me about San Francisco. I, I don't have the numbers in front of you, but it's like if if they keep Jimmy Garoppolo, it's like 20, it's over 26 million cap hit. If they let him go, it's 2.8 dead. Yeah. And he's, I, Jimmy, he's Jimmy Garoppolo. Come yeah. I, I I was convinced he was going to be a Patriot two months or three months ago. And I thought. I mean, I would like him in that spot, spot better than Mac Jones. At least he can run around. Yeah, I mean, you well, don't know I what's going like, to happen when the ball leaves his hand, but that's a different story. That was my favorite rumor the whole offseason. I don't know if this, but that was my favorite rumor the whole offseason. It was like, oh, Mac Jones to San Francisco, like, blah, blah. Like, it, kept, it kept coming up over and over and over again. And I was like, they're taking Trey Lance. And, like, I don't hit on everything. I miss stuff everyone does. I was like, they're taking Trey Lance. There's no way that uh, Kyle Shanahan, who's a genius, is going to go and watch these guys throw in person and go, I want that guy. If there's well, no they way. even – North Dakota State had a fullback. You know, they ran Y, they ran the Y over concepts that are like the staple in Shanahan's playbook. Mac Jones, really? Uh, do you understand what Kyle Shanahan's offense is? Uh, it's not him. You know, I, I uh, it's, it'll be interesting, but no, a lot of exciting times. We got training camp kicking off in, uh, in a week's time, and we really appreciate you coming on. Make sure you continue to follow Doug on Twitter. Um, you know, USA Today, NFLY, like all that stuff. You do some great work. I really enjoy listening, you know, listening to you and Mark's podcast, but also I like listening, you know, reading some of your stuff. So uh, make sure you guys are following that. And uh, we got Connor Rogers coming up on Friday. So a lot of, uh, a lot of exciting stuff in Jetsland. Cool. Thanks, man.